Alright, welcome to Cover Stories. Today we've got the guys from Elysium on, and they'll be covering In Bloom by Nirvana. We've got Corey, Johnny, and Logan. Hello. How's it going? What's up? Pretty good. Pretty good. Pretty good. Thanks for having us. Uh, thanks, for, thanks for coming on. Uh, thanks for reaching out, and uh, this is going to be fun. We've mentioned Nirvana. We haven't really gotten to talk a lot about Nirvana, so I'm, I'm kind of excited about it. So just jumping right into it, what made you decide to choose In Bloom? Well... Uh, in Bloom was my first idea because a long time ago, back in the uh, 20, was it 2015? Um, I met Corey and then long story short is we decided to play In Bloom as a, as our first cover. And that's the first song we ever performed. Together. Awesome. And I was, I remember it was a talent show of, of uh, his high school, Bernie High School. And in the background, I'll never forget, I was hyperventilating in the back. I was yeah. rolling around. And then he was, uh, Corey over here was telling me, hey, calm down. It's just a gig. Blah blah blah, because he's performed before. I at that point I was my oh, first cool. ever gig, and That's I was cool. I almost cried, man. It was, it was so bad. But in yeah. Bloom is the song I had to learn uh, to actually get into the band. Oh yeah, uh, after the oh. band, like many years after the band was formed. After the first drummer left, I had him learn in Bloom. And uh, funny story, I had him playing it. Uh, we were all in high school band, or me and Logan were, and. Um, he was playing in bloom on the drum set there. And then the old drummer walked by watching me. <laughs> so he gave me a dirty look. He <laughs> broke funny. his heart. <laughs> and y'all haven't, y'all hadn't even really kicked him out at that point. Y'all, he just saw me like, he just saw that me and you were playing in bloom and he knew. He put two I, hadn't, together. I hadn't told him yet. <laughs> he just saw me watching a different drummer play a song. Uh, he assumed, I would assume if I was a drummer, but <laughs> I feel like the song, that really got me into Elysium though was Chop Suey by System of a Down. Oh yeah. Because we were in the band hall and uh, he was just playing it on like an acoustic guitar and I'd already known how to play the song at that point uh-huh. just because I learned it on my own time. So I just started playing with him out of the oh, blue. Oh, that's cool. And that's kind of how me and Corey started gotten talking. That's dope. That's that's cool to, to, to I'm I'm old and I was in band too in 06 is when I graduated. Um, but it was a lot like that too. We would play like we... Uh, I mean, Chap Suey was around back then too. So we play, we play more like Sublime and kind of like a little nice, bit more ska smart. stuff. But uh, but yeah, same thing. We play and then some people would see us and kind of just jump in. It was really cool. So it's cool to see that still jamming out. Yeah, yeah, it's still a thing in the band halls of San Antonio area, metropolitan area. <laughs> um, so uh, what? Uh, so obviously, In Bloom is an important song to you guys as a band. How I, I know Johnny, you're talking about how Nirvana is your favorite band. When do you remember the first time you listened to them? Oh, the first time I listened to them, I remember when I was like 12 or 13 before I got, before I got a guitar. Um, I was going to a soccer game with my friend Kevin, which uh, Kevin Garcia will uh, he's he'll be important later. Mm-hmm. Um, he uh, he played a song on the radio. And I heard someone say, Polly wants a cracker. I'm like, that's a pretty good song. Who, who is that? And he said, he said, this is Nirvana. And then I went home after that. I had my Android and I downloaded a lot of songs and a lot of them were Nirvana. And I listened to Polly. I listened to In Bloom and all those songs. And ever since then, I listened to that, to Nirvana almost every single day that year. That's awesome. I'm obsessed with the band. I but, still am, but. What about, what about you guys? To add on to that, he's so obsessed with them that he actually wears them out for people around. Like everyone's about. just like, "Oh, Nirvana I again!" I don't know what we're talking about. Um, I first heard Nirvana as a kid on I was actually playing rock band. Oh uh, yeah, they had in Bloom on the song, and then throughout the years, I heard more and more of them. I didn't actually get into them until more high school. Um, I bought pretty much all three of their albums at the same time, and I listened to all of them, and I loved every single song on them. Um, and the first one I learned was Breed, 
I learned that one through Rocksmith. I didn't actually start learning stuff by ear until a lot later on. Oh, but, yeah. Uh, I learned Breed and In Bloom were the first two I learned, which is kind of how I met him. <laughs> yeah, and uh, you met us with uh, Kevin Garcia, I remember. Mm-hmm. He was, uh, I remember we were, me and Kevin, we were trying to start a band, and uh, we were looking for a bassist, and we didn't know any bassists, because anyone you ask, hey, do you play an instrument? Yeah, I play guitar. Yeah, they, all, yeah. Guitarists are everywhere. And then uh, we saw, I saw Kevin, and he said, hey, man, I, saw, I found a drummer at school. No, I mean a bassist at school. And he sent me a Snapchat of him playing. I think it was in Bloomer Breed. I forgot which one it was. And then we decided to see if he wanted to jam with us. We jammed with him. And then two weeks, three weeks later, we kicked Kevin out because he didn't want to play pretty much. Oh, yeah. Inconsistent. This just for soccer practice. Yeah, he's like, oh, yeah, I'll, <laughs> I'll go and rehearse. Oh, never mind. I have soccer practice. We kicked him out. So the guy that got us together was only in there for like, what, a month? If, like even. if even. If even. He kicked showed him up out. to like two. A rehearsal and a half. A rehearsal and a half. And then he's like, no, I have soccer practice. And that's how we got. Uh, that's that's the Kevin Garcia, yeah. the important guy yeah. I was mentioning about. <laughs> well, you hear it a lot, especially from bands from that era who, you know, the founding members not in the band anymore or either left or they kicked him out right before oh. the big break. So it's uh, it falls in that that line yep. of things. What about you? What was the first time you um, Nirvana? Honestly, I mean, I've heard Nirvana throughout my life, but the, you know, the time I kind of took note of uh, the band was probably, you know, shortly before I kind of got into the drums. Uh-huh. Um, you know, for a long time I pondered on the idea of learning the drums and I got into a lot more rock bands. And then I remember, um, I was actually on my way to a, like a football game on the bus and I was just like listening to, uh, Pandora, like nineties grunge. And then I heard, uh, smells like teen spirit. And, you know, I'd heard the song a lot before, but yeah. you know, since I was actually like listening to the drums and yeah. how it all was, I took note of it and I liked that song in particular. So, you know, I listened, you know, I wore that song out for myself. So I kind of got into more and, you know, other Nirvana songs, but I never really, I wouldn't say I ever really obsessed with them, uh-huh. but I definitely have always appreciated the musicianship of them and stuff like that. So, you know, I always have a blast playing Nirvana songs with these guys. That's awesome. That's really cool. I, I think that it's interesting uh, obviously, you guys discovered them after they were were uh, you know no longer a band. Were y'all born after they were no longer? A band? I was born ninety eight. Okay. I was the closest at ninety seven, <laughs> two thousand one. So so yeah, um, I, I remember as a kid watching Smells Like Teen Spirit when I was very little and being so scared of that janitor. And it, years later, I came back and like, oh, like this isn't so scary. And it's interesting because Nevermind is a very polished record. Butch Vig kind of did things with that record that you don't really normally hear with punk albums quote-unquote punk albums and at the core of it i know chris novacelli talks about this a lot is like that is a pop record I and mean, it's a pop record it's just really heavy you listen to the chorus and there's a lot of hooks and that it's interesting because that kind of transcended them from being this you know really dirty kind of quick i wouldn't call them a hardcore band but they were definitely more dirty sounding yeah. with bleach bleach yeah bleach yeah big difference and so, I, I know uh whenever you were just talking about the polished uh no. poppy noise um during recordings for Nevermind, um, Kurt Cobain um, didn't want to double track the vocals, yeah. the guitars, and all that stuff. And then Butch Vig was like, "But John Lennon did." What would John Lennon do? And yeah. He's like, oh, okay, <laughs> I guess I'll do it. Yeah, and I think that's something that's also interesting about Kurt Cobain in general because he's got such a diverse taste in music that for guys of that era, I mean, that's what separates them from bands like Mud Honey and like, um, uh, like I guess like the Butthole Surfers. There, there, there's kind of a one track mind in that sense, and that's not any diss on those bands, but he had a lot more pop sounds going in his mm-hmm. head. 
he was a big fan of the Beatles. He loved the Pixies. Mm-hmm. Um, he, I mean, he kind of popularized Jawbreaker and Daniel Webster. I mean, I didn't know about Daniel Webster till I looked into Kurt Cobain. So it's interesting to see all these kind of different elements on him uh, really come out in his music. I think it's, it's a real testament to Nevermind in general. Yep. Um, what uh, is this your guys' favorite song from them, or do you have another favorite song? My favorite song by Nirvana is besides all of them, but if I, if I had to choose one, I would choose um, Sappy. Sappy? Sappy. Which album is that on? Uh, it's not on an album. Okay. He uh, released it on, uh, I think it was a, a secret track on a benefit album, 1994. Okay. okay. I think. I'd have to say my favorite Nirvana song is Heart Shaped Box. Heart Shaped Box. Mine is Very Ape. Very ape. Nice. I love Drain You just because that intro is just so like it, the, the way it captures it. I, in Bloom is definitely in my top five. Um, I was looking at the, I haven't listened to Nevermind forever. So in researching for this episode, I was listening to it again and I forgot like there's four singles on that album, but the first like seven tracks are all songs that are played on the radio. Yeah. The whole, pretty much the A yeah. side is all uh, radio friendly. Yeah. Not, uh, all the radio hits. It blows my mind though, just because I mean, even Territory Pistings wasn't even a single, but I remember hearing that on the radio. Yeah. I, I think I've heard every single Nevermind song on the radio, oh, except really? for like Endless Nameless and Something in the Way. I'm pretty sure I've heard them all on the radio. Oh, yeah. It's crazy. I've never heard any other album like that. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if that's just, I mean, obviously this part of it's a testament to the songwriting itself, um, but I don't know how much of that is just from the 90s, people listen to the whole album more than they do yeah, now. Yeah. So, um, and then living in a town with the rock station like Kiss, they play it on the hour, every hour, because there's so many of their songs, you're going to hear Nirvana yep. 20 times a day. But uh, what other bands from that era kind of influenced you guys? Um, well, for me, uh, second Foo Fighters. I love the Foo Fighters. I have all their albums. I know all their songs. If you play a little clip of any part, you play any clip (laughs) of any song, and I know all their songs. I also, obviously, uh, kind of basic with Metallica, any of those 90s grunge bands like uh, Pearl Jam. Stone Temple uh, Pilot. I love Stone Temple Pilot. Yeah. And I know, um, I know we are, I am, I'm really into the 90s scene, and um, it's really cool that uh, Logan actually loves Slipknot. Yeah, (laughs) it's a big, you know, difference. I listen to a lot of music you know, a lot of different types of music from like jazz to alternative indie, but no band will ever take Slipknot off my number one favorite band. Yeah. I don't know why it's just, it's the, the appeal of like such an unmatched intensity. Yeah. And, you know, just being able to also the performances, I actually went to one of their concerts in September and they can put on a fantastic show. It's, you know, light show, really. It's crazy 20 years later that they're still able to do that. Yeah, and, you know, as far as their their music has goes, they've they've uh, calmed down a little bit, you know, yeah. mellowed out. Um, but, you know, they're still, it's still hardcore, yeah. you know. Um, What's your favorite yeah. song? By Slipknot. <sighs> Duality? No. <laughs> Jeez. Um, honestly, I'd have to say it is Diluted. Or the shape, the shape. Mm-hmm. I've heard of them. Yeah, I wouldn't have expected <laughs> you to. <laughs> uh, that's cool, though. I, I think. That, what about you? Or some other bands from that era that uh, kind of influenced you? So, as a bassist, I like to pick out some of the songs that have some of the more intense, harder bass lines. I don't uh, like to follow the root notes and yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's that's one thing. Like from Nirvana to Foo Fighters, I was really disappointed that. Foo Fighters' bass was so dumbed down compared to what Chris Novosa- uh, Novoselic was doing. 
Um, so some of the bands that I like that really inspire me, uh, Flea, obviously. Yeah. Um, Les Claypool, Primus, uh, big influences on me. I've been trying to learn a lot of their stuff even recently. Yeah. Um, really getting myself up there and what I consider the higher, more harder bass songs to play. And then besides that, just music I enjoy. I really like System of a Down, Avenged Sevenfold. I have a, like like everyone else, yeah, a pretty wide yeah. genre of music that I like to listen to. That's cool. I, I'm, you know, obviously you can't, it's hard to bring up the Foo Fighters without talking about Nirvana. And I always like to say the Foo Fighters are the best super group of all time because you've got Dave from Nirvana singing and playing guitar. You've got Nate from Sunny Day Real Estate playing bass. And you've got the drummer, I can't remember his Taylor name. Taylor Hawkins. Before that, before oh. Taylor Hawkins joined the band, they had the drummer to, uh, no, no, take it back. It was a guitarist. The other guitarist was from Sunny Day, and then Taylor Hawkins came from another band. I can't remember the band he was in, but they all were in other big bands, and they all came together. Oh, pass me from the germs. Yeah, pass me from the germs, exactly. And it's it's interesting just to see that all together, and then people don't think of them as a super group, but they definitely are. It's like a legacy band. Yeah, I didn't even think of it like that. Yeah. You're right. It's, it's nice just to, to see that they're able to kind of create their own thing from there. Um, Have you ever heard of uh, Them Crooked Vultures? Yeah. Uh, yeah. What's his face from... Uh, I know it's... Uh, Queen of the Stone Age. Queen of the Stone Age and then Johnny Kale from, um, is it Johnny Kale? What's his name? The bassist. For, I think the bassist from Led Zeppelin. From Led Zeppelin, Led Zeppelin yeah. Um, Dave Grohl on drums. They only made one album, yeah. which disappointed me, but you know, it's an excellent album. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting to, to talk about that because a lot of bands now that are, you know, big arena rock bands are all legacy bands like that. You don't really see new bands come out. Like, it's hard to think of a more you know, a band from the last even 10 years that has been like original or isn't from another band. Um, when you see bands like that, they, they kind of are resurrected from the nineties and it's a, a testament to the fact that every 20 years or so things kind of cycle in. Yeah. I mean, the fact that you guys were all born after Nirvana was done and you guys are into Nirvana that much. I mean, it's, it's kind of cool to see that. So going back to in bloom, uh, what it, uh, there's obviously open to interpretation. What does the song mean to you guys? Well, to me, it means it just every time I hear it, I remember I have memories of like me first learning it on guitar and then uh -huh. being like, hey, Corey, we should play this song. And then I play the chord and then he played the bass note and then just hearing the guitar and the bass together for the first time together, it just blew my mind. I'm like, this sounds amazing. And then hearing it with the drummer, uh, Cole, uh, Cole M before, uh -huh. before Logan and just coming all together to just have these memories of like, wow, this is I, I really like doing this. That's cool. As far as what I would interpret from the song is honestly hard to say because um for me personally i've never really tried to interpret the lyrics yeah. of a nirvana song simply because whenever i think of a nirvana song i say or i think of you know um well i have to i have to perform that at a cover cover <laughs> show <laughs> um but yeah no just because i correlate that band very heavily with the fact that we know many of their songs and i'd say that's really what makes the significance to me um other than the fact that learning in bloom is what really got me into the band anyways. It's the first song, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's in this, it's kind of by design too. I mean, these are poppy songs that you don't really pay attention to the lyrics. I didn't know what that song was about till yesterday. I, I never paid. And I don't, I don't pay attention to the lyrics. I just, the hooks, the music yeah. the instruments just stick in my mind. Kurt in particular is hard to decipher. Anyway. Yeah. He, he like, who knows what he's thinking, yeah. really? Like, yeah. Smells Like Teen Spirit is about nothing, really. It yeah. doesn't make any sense. And, and you know, that's actually very, like, that's a lot. The Beatles did that a lot with a lot of their songs. Yeah. You know, they just, like, uh, I Am the Walrus is just. <laughs> yep. 
They were fucking with people about nonsense. Paul is dead. Huh? <laughs> they had oh. have been fucking with people about Paul is dead. You know, actually, I heard, um, I heard from my friend Roger Gibbs. That song was born because uh, at a university there was a class that taught you how to decipher a Beatles song. Oh, really? And John Lennon uh, heard about it yep. and was like, try to decipher this, assholes. <laughs> yep. It's all true, man. It's crazy. It makes no sense. You're really actually trying to listen to the lyrics. Yeah, and there's there's a lot of that mentality in, in Kirk. Not just Kirk Cobain's music, but just his whole personality. Have y'all seen Monta- Montage of Heck? I've seen uh, the soundtrack. Okay, there's. I haven't heard the soundtrack. Wa- watch the documentary. It's it's okay, but uh, there's a part in there where they're reading things from Kurt Cobain's diary, and there's a part where he talks about um, having sex with a. Um, uh, when he was a teenager, he had sex with like a uh, a mentally challenged girl. Oh yes, yes, yes! I remember that. I yeah. remember that. Yes. So they they kind of like dramatize it with like illustrations and things like that, and then Buzz from the Melvins, who's like childhood friends, they're both from Aberdeen. I think they're both from Aberdeen, but the childhood friends with Kurt was like, no, Kurt was just fucking with everybody. Like yeah. that's that's not real. That he, that actually didn't happen. Yeah. And there is this kind of like Andy Kaufman esque kind of vibe to everything he did. Yeah. Um, but from what I've read in bloom is about, um, people who are catching on to the band after bleach and showing up and there are people that he doesn't necessarily correlate with the type of people he hangs out with mm-hmm. and they all like his band. And that's why the chorus is, um, he's the one likes all my pretty songs, likes to sing along, yeah. but knows not what it means. All these people are singing along to my songs. They don't know what they're really about. Right. And it's super interesting because it's a catchy chorus. And then now millions of people are doing that yep. and not paying attention to songs, making fun of them. Yeah. I mean, um, if you really listen to uh, his other lyrics, like on a song called uh, on a plane, uh-huh. um, I find it kind of funny. He's, he says some uh, gibberish and at the end he's like, what the hell am I trying to say? <laughs> I'm like, makes sense. Yeah. I mean, it's really interesting. I, I think that he's one of the most, um, I, I guess he he's really the hardest to kind of really grasp the mind of. And I think Nirvana is just a, a testament to that. Everything he did in Nirvana was very like keeping you on your toes. Um, so, uh, you know, we talked about the Paula sound. We talked about, you know, Butch Vig kind of did the double tracking. Kurt hated double yeah. tracking. It's so interesting looking back now because they were a punk band from Washington and they signed to a major label because uh, Sub Pop, they signed, Bleach was with Sub Pop. Mm-hmm. Sub Pop was supposed to release their second album, but they were a subsidiary. And I remember Chris was saying, well, let's cut out the middleman. They signed with Geffen. And at that time, selling out, quote unquote, wasn't a big deal. And I felt like had this happened five or six years later, they would have probably been a bigger. Do you see that four years later with, with Green Day and, du- and Dookie? Yeah. So it's just so interesting that they kind of set the bar, but they had this this DIY mentality that they maintained, even with Nevermind being such a polished record. How do you guys feel about that in general, like just the punk ethics going into Nevermind? Well, I think with uh, with Nevermind, I think uh, the album was amazing. I know that um, later on down the road, he started saying um, that he actually hated the sound. Yeah. He started saying he didn't like how it was polished. He said it was a great song, like songs, but he just didn't like how it was produced. And I think that's just... Um, I don't know. Like we talked about, it's kind of hard to try to interpret Kurt Cobain, but yeah, I just think he just didn't like the fact that he felt like he sold out himself. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. That's that's a good point too because he he kind of mentions that in in the letter that he wrote, you know, before he died. Um, it's uh, it's interesting just to see, you know, you're obviously your hardest critic, you know, and to to see that and see how people are interpreting your music. Mm-hmm. 
sometimes it's the death of the artist, the death of the, the, the writer. Um, how do you guys feel about that in writing your own songs? You know, when you write a song and it's about something and people, it, there's a possibility that people are going to interpret it completely different. How do you feel about that interpretation? What do you think, Corey? Whenever I show you a song and like, Hey, what do you think of the lyrics? What do you, as an artist, I can appreciate a lot of different types of art. So like I know as a painter, when you paint a picture, People are going to interpret it however they feel, yeah. and and that has a beauty to me. And with a song, if they interpret it different for me, I don't look at that really as a bad thing, because at least if they're interpreting my music, to me they're thinking about it, and it means they're enjoying the piece enough to really sit there and put some thought into yeah. it. So I've never really thought about it as a negative thing if they get a different interpretation. I think that you know, honestly, whenever you you're listening to a band that you really like or a song that you really really like. I think it's honestly very healthy for the psyche to try to, you know, apply the lyrics um, and relate them to your own life, yeah. you know, and, and, and try to view it as, you know, your own internal therapeutic process. You know, that that's really how music speaks to me is because, you know, even whenever it's a song about nonsense, you know, I can think about the lyrics and I can, you know, enjoy the song because I can uh, apply it to my own life. Um, and, you know, sometimes that can be insightful and, you know, honestly, it could just be, you know, emotionally healthy. Yeah, I think that's a good mentality to have. Um, so I think, I think, you know, I don't write the songs, but I think they should be open for interpretation, self-interpretation to the individual. Yeah, definitely. I, I had a friend who dated an art major and they would go to the museums and they would see these these art pieces. Those like, like Pollocks are just scribbles or whatever, paint dabs. And he's like, this is bullshit. This is just <laughs> pretentious bullshit. And she's like, no, but how does it make you feel? And it kind of changed his perception on things for some things. It still was bullshit to him, but there are other things like, okay, like I see this and it makes me angry. Well, it's making you angry. So it's getting a rise out of you. And I feel like music's the same way. So what you yeah. guys are saying is, yeah, I, I, I definitely agree. You guys definitely about that. Um, there's another interpretation of the song that uh, some artists, like there's a, a country singer, Sturgill Simpson, who did a cover of In Bloom. And I like it. You like it? I like it. I've heard it. Um, like it. So it's, it's a little different, um, but I think the, the mentality of, of his cover is that you know, he's obviously a country singer. Country's all about masculinity. Kurt Cobain was a known feminist. He was a known... Uh, to, to be sensitive and was open to that and in bloom can be interpreted as kind of a stab at, you know, people who feel that you have to be masculine. You have to withhold these masculine values. And that's part of the reason why one of the videos they did, they're in dresses. Oh yeah. The uh, in bloom music video. Yeah. yeah. I like that. So I think it's interesting that there are kind of multiple interpretations to that. And I think it's interesting that, that Kurt Cobain kind of, it's almost like he did it on purpose. He probably did, but it's, it's cool to see the different values of that. I'm sure he did. Yeah. <laughs> he was very, um, uh... He was like that sometimes. He'd say he doesn't want something, and he'd actually want it. Like, I know a lot of people said, uh, uh, like, on TV he or, like, in interviews, he didn't really want to want the rock star life. Yeah. He didn't want the fame and fortune. But his friends all said, like, he was that's what he was going for. Oh, yeah. That's what he wanted, you know. And he got it. Yeah, and it's an interesting kind of uh, dynamic in the sense that, I mean, there are aspects of him that probably wanted it, but he felt like he shouldn't want it, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I know he talked a lot about that in, in his, in the suicide note, um, uh, or the part that he, <laughs> I'm not going to get into that. The alleged. Right? <laughs> that, that could be a whole other yeah. podcast. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's just so interesting to see that, especially this early in the nineties, you know, we, people, I mentioned earlier, like they, no one called Nirvana sellouts and it was him kind of, Hey, we want to get this out to an, a bigger audience. That way I can sell my message mm. and I can not necessarily sell it, but 
put it out there more. And he was very vocal. I mean, do you know what, do you know what Polly is about? Yeah. Um, there was a girl that she was getting kidnapped. Yeah. I think it was in, I don't know what town it was, but he read it in a newspaper. I think it was 1980 something that she escaped. Yeah. You know, bad story. But he wrote a song about it. Uh, yeah. 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 Uh, Zach actually sent me a, a whole little mini documentary about <laughs> Zach, my producer over here. Um, and it was really interesting. I mean, it's, it's obviously it's a very like calm song. It's not a very upbeat song. Right. But it's really easy there's to a, not. There's a dark message behind yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And in a way, I mean, he—that's his way of kind of talking about, you know, um, you know, the way women are treated, especially in the scene. You know, um, I think that's a really—it's a really cool thing that he was able to maintain that responsibility while still being a rock star. Yeah. A um, what's it called? A reluctant rock star. Yeah, he did something else too. I think it was in 1992 in a concert in Buenos Aires and wherever that is. He was playing a concert, and then the opening band was an all-female band, and the audience was really, really rude. They were throwing stuff, yelling at them. They weren't paying attention, all this bad stuff. And then uh, the whole time, whenever they got on stage, he'd uh, there's a cool video on him on YouTube that he's messing up the song Come As You Are. Uh, he's just saying, hey, 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 the whole song. And then he also, uh, I think like three or four times, teased Smells Like Teen Spirit. Oh, uh, yeah. And then right before they started... He just switched another song, <laughs> and he said later it was because of the way they treated the uh, the band before him. Yeah, and it's I mean a lot of people obviously now we're kind of in a a new a new generation of of, of wokeness uh, or whatever you may call it, but that's like in the early nineties, and it's so crazy to look back and like he had this huge you know following, and he was still being responsible with these things, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so we uh, you, you mentioned Stone Temple Pilots. I love Stone Temple Pilots. Um, it's hard to imagine it without Scott Weiland now. Um, even though Rip. the the twins' guitar riffs are just they're Amazing. so simple, but they're just so fun. I saw them live actually. Oh, they yeah? came to the uh, Aztec Theater. I want to say oh, cool. like a month or two ago. With Weiland or with with uh, the new guy? I think his oh, name okay. was uh, starts with a C. Chester? Or no, 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 not Chester. Uh, Chester took over for a little bit before yeah, he died. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I forgot his name, the new guy. And it was it was an amazing show. I loved it. That's cool. I, he got so close, I even high-fived him, too. Oh, yeah? It was awesome, man. It was awesome. How do you feel about bands when, like, their singers die or their singers are troubled or whatever? How do you feel about them kind of continuing to tour without them? Ooh, I think it's kind of weird. I think, I know um, um, ACDC did it. Yeah. They had a good comeback. And I know um, Axl Rose took over the live performances for a little bit, too. Yeah. Um, I know uh, after uh, Steve died in STP, uh, I don't know. I just feel like as though without the lead singer in the band, it's it sounds weird. It's just it feels like it's not the band. It's like James Hetfield without. What happened to Soundgarden? Chris Cornell, uh, he got um, well. He committed suicide. Well, I know that, but what happened to the band? They uh, broke up a long time before that. Oh, though. really? Yeah, yeah, they broke up before, and then I think they joined for a little bit. I think they released. They were about to release an album or something like that, and then he committed suicide. Oh uh, no, he was about to tour. We were we were thinking about buying tickets for uh, Audio Slate, remember? And then we saw on Spotify oh, the, wow. the date, uh, something like that. Yeah, yeah. I you just, know, I actually had a concert ticket tickets to lincoln park oh yeah but he Rip. committed suicide a month before the show oh wow Rip. yeah it was kind of surreal really? honestly yeah right before a month a month about a month or two before that sucks i remember uh, just seeing um i went to work one day i picked up my phone i'm like it says scott wyland dead yeah what no and then like a year or two or something like that later chris cornell yeah i was sad about chris the fucked thing about scott wyland is that week or, or like a few months a month or two before that there were false reports about him dying really so it was almost like when i saw 
that he died. I'm like, okay, this is another like hoax. That's weird. Really? Yeah. Yeah. It was really, it was really close together. Um, Same thing happened with Michael Jackson right before he died. Yeah. Someone updated his uh, uh, wiki page saying yeah. he died with really accurate um, descriptions. And then like a day later he actually died. Yeah. He was technically like on like life support. So he was dead, but he wasn't dead. Oh, you know? really? Yeah. Oh, okay. TMZ kind of spilled, uh, kind of broke that. And because it was TMZ, people thought like, oh, uh, you know, they don't know what they're talking about. Mm-hmm. They're just gossip, man. And they were actually right. Oh, yeah. That was rough. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's interesting because obviously you can't do Nirvana without Kurt Cobain. He's not only is he the lead singer, but he's also the soul of the band. Mm-hmm. And that's why they kind of went. Chris became a politician. And, then, yeah. you know, Dave went and started the Foo Fighters. Um, but you mentioned ACDC and Brian Scott wasn't even the original singer. You know, uh, um, Brian Johnson, what's a Brian, whatever his last name is. Bon Scott was the original singer. He died in the 70s. Brian took over. So it's just so weird because he's not the original singer and then he's being replaced again. So there's an aspect of that that like, oh, like that's Angus Young's band. Even though he may yeah. not write all the music, yeah. he's the 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 most like yeah. signature part of it. Like I, I know they pulled it off, but uh I can't think of any other band to pull off something like that. Like if if Metallica gets a new singer, it'd just be weird. If, yeah. If the Foo Fighters doesn't have Dave Grohl in it, it'd be weird. Yeah. Nirvana obviously Kurt isn't in it. It'd be weird to see someone else take yeah. his place, you know? For sure. I don't know uh, how they did it. Yeah. And it, it, it's interesting though, just to see the bands that do pull it off and are able to kind of create another legacy for them. Um, I hate to say it, but sometimes it's easier when like the like non face of the, the band is, is yeah. the one who died. Yeah. And we see that with the Rolling Stones and then with, uh, with the replacements and then like with, um, Oh, what's that big band I'm trying to think of? I can't remember. I was going to bring up someone. I can't remember. Um, so, uh, going back to you guys as a band, I mean, you guys have a lot of nineties influence on you. Um, what was it about that music that you felt connected to as far as creating music? What, like, you know, when you guys were starting, you guys started around 2012, is that right? Was it? Uh, I'm really bad with dates. Uh, Something like that. Yeah, 20, 2013, 2012, around that time. Around that time, yeah. So around that time, a, a lot of the music that was you know out there wasn't the same. Did you feel like, was there like, you didn't like the type of music that was out there, so you kind of went back to 90s? Was there like an older influence, or you just was you just automatically attracted well, to 90s? For me, for me, um, it started off, I think, um, the way I like to think about it is that the Beatles got me in mm-hmm. love with music. I love, I think my aunt gave me, what album was it? I think it was Revolver, uh-huh. and I listened to that album every day. And then later on, whenever I'm like, you know what? I kind of want to play guitar. I got a guitar. The first songs I started learning were Nirvana songs. And then just with them, uh, Nirvana got me into loving uh, playing guitar and uh-huh. writing music. And then the influences, the influences for me were really 90s when I started learning and the Beatles and all those other bands from that era. For me, I know Corey uh, liked um, Aerosmith. Oh, yeah, for okay, sure. My bad. That was one of my first uh, influences oh, yeah. was Aerosmith. Um, Steven Tyler still is just phenomenal. Do you know the uh, early 2000s band uh, Brand New? Yeah. 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 I actually, uh, the way I really started playing drum set is, you know, I started, I was listening to a couple bands and, you know, I, I'd been uh, pondering on learning a new instrument and, you know, I was listening to a bunch of different stuff, but I was listening to Brand New. And, you know, I don't know if it was, you know, if I'd say Brand New, you know, inspired me to play drums or whatever, but it's definitely one the band I was listening to. I know it was the band I was listening to when I knew in my head, like, yeah, I think I want to play drums. But as far as, you know, what really got me into wanting to be into in a band was, uh, bands like, uh, 
Black Sabbath, mm-hmm. uh, System of a Down, Soundgarden for sure, uh, Nirvana obviously. Um, um, just like a, I've always been into just rock bands. Evans, have you ever heard of Evans Blue? Uh, no. Uh, they're the, you know they're a like a early two thousands or not early two thousands like two thousand tens kind of early two thousand tens band. Um, what was the first song you learned on drums? The first song I learned on drums. Uh, it was actually a gorilla song. Gorilla. It was um, Clint Eastwood. Oh yeah, I was about to say that. That's cool. Um, we we've talked a little bit about like learning, you know, how to play, and we bring up ACDC again. That was like rock band before rock band because you just play the same four bars, you know, the same bars over and over again, and then mm-hmm. just you know pick up oh, add a hi hat, add a add a crash, and we're good to go. Um, so I feel like it's cool that you know the gorillas is a good starting point because it's it's. You don't, it's simple. Yeah. yeah it's, it's simple, but it's so important too. Yeah. You know, and also that's the, that's the thing I, I believe is really uh, vital for anybody who wants to learn an instrument is, you know, uh, you know, whenever I started getting into drums, I just wanted to get into it and play all the really advanced stuff you yeah. know, and take a really long time to learn it and, you know, ultimately get nowhere. But, you know, <laughs> what you should really be doing is focusing on the fundamentals and yeah. it's common knowledge that you should do this, but f- focusing on the fundamentals and you know, mastering the basic techniques before you branch off into anything more, uh, you know, advanced, um, you know, yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And it, it, that's interesting because Kurt Cobain was a virtuoso, but you couldn't tell it by hearing his riffs. His style was very power chordy. Uh, he, his guitar solos, that was the first guitar solo I ever learned was smells like teen spirit. Yeah. So I'm a seventh grader playing along and like, Oh, I can play a guitar solo. And, you know, you wouldn't know that he could play really well. Same thing with, with Kurt, I mean, uh, with uh, Dave Grohl. I mean, he talked about when he came into the band right before Nevermind, he kind of kept it pretty simple. He just played with a little bit more aggressively. Mm-hmm. He, they said that there was an unwritten rule in the band where he didn't want to add fills. He didn't want to add anything too technical. And I mean, they did it well. And, and obviously there's, there's a pop mentality to that, but at the same time, it, it's just so obtainable. And I feel like that's one of the reasons why Nirvana is uh, not just you guys, but like a lot of bands, those are the first songs that they play. Cause it's simple, but it sounds cool. And when you get it right, you yeah. get it right. It sounds yeah. awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's really cool to, to hear you guys kind of just talk about, you know, the state of mind that you guys were in when you started the band and when you started playing instruments, um, there's always one band you latch on to that like, okay, maybe you know, not so much you want to sound like them, but you want to be like them in that sense, you know? So I think it's cool that Nirvana was that band for you guys. Every time I've, I've showed, uh, someone, you know, one of Elysium songs, they're always like, you guys have such a Nirvana sounding <laughs> style. And I'm like, Oh my God. I, <laughs> you're like the, I, I, I like it. It's, it's a compliment, but at the same time, I don't like it. I, I, you know, personally, I think it's very good to have influences, but if yeah. I'm going to make my music, I want it to, you know, if, if we're going to make music, you know, I want it, I want people to, you know, I want it to sound like Elysium and not Nirvana. Right. I know the, the songs we have right now are, uh, most of them are the ones that we came up with when, uh, uh we were like 17, 18 and the second album that 15. we're planning on is going to be different, but I mean, every time I hear someone saying, you guys sound like Nirvana, I mean, like, I don't get upset, you mm-hmm. know, because it's, it's all like, thank you. Like, it's great. They're a great band. But I just want to, I don't know. I just, I don't want to sound like a ripoff. I don't want to, I want to sound like Elysium, not Nirvana. Yeah. And I, I don't think you guys sound like a ripoff. You can hear the influence, but that's it. I think when people say that, it's because they don't know other bands. Yeah. I, I'm thinking that. I think it's just because we use, we also use power chords. Yeah. And, um, 
And I think we do sound obviously alternative. Yeah. He came to me one day with this, uh, with this same issue and you can hear it in the early songs. You'll hear more power chords. And mm. then he comes to me with this like second set of songs and, um, like there's no power chords except on the choruses and stuff like he tried to go, you can really hear him push away from it. Uh, like as we go like further down the timeline of our music yeah, uh, I thought it was kind of funny that he just like changed his whole writing style to try and get out of that. Like, like I'd say, it, I'd say we came a far, we've come a far way as long as far as like you know our writing style. I, th- I think we have, honestly. I think we do. I think mean, maybe one of the first songs we ever learned um, was a King of Kings, and I know that song has just a bunch of power chords. That is it. my favorite song and, to play. <laughs> and now some of the songs we have right now are more finger picking, more little riffs, more uh-huh. little inter- intricate little parts. It's shying away moving away from the power cords yeah and that's a big issue for me yeah and i think that i mean as you guys are growing um you guys have the the rare situation where you guys formed in high school and you're still together um that doesn't happen often and um you guys are growing together so obviously it's just not going to start the stuff you're doing now it's not going to sound like what y'all did in high school not only are you guys growing as musicians but you're also growing as your, your tastes go there are things you probably have you come across situations where there are things you didn't like in high school that you kind of like now or vice versa. To be honest with you, yeah, I uh, I hated rap when oh, I was yeah. in high school, <laughs> and now every now and then I listen to myself hearing um, uh, some Ice Cube uh-huh. or Post Malone or anything that's on the radio except Little Pump. <laughs> but really, that's really it. That's really, it's a huge change for me. I, I hated rap. Have you heard of the uh, Growlers? Yeah, yeah. No, I've uh, I've been getting super into them. I mean, I've always I've known about them for a couple of years, but. Um, I'd say, you know, as far as their style, I say, I'd say they're starting to influence me a lot, you know, especially, you know, with the whole, um, explosion of the alternative indie scene. Um, I think they're an excellent band and I think honestly in the future, I would love to make music kind of like that. Me too. Me too. Uh, the growlers and the killers. And some other bands my friend Kevin showed me that I'm actually trying to listen to a lot. There, there was that whole lo-fi explosion, like the late 2000, like when I was in college in, oh, you know, from 06 to 2010. And then the Growlers remind me so much of the Black Lips. Um, you guys are getting into Black Lips? Um, they're a little different now than they were back then, but it just sounds like, like, it sounds like they went into a studio in like a bathroom and just recorded it. But the actual essence of the music is so good. It's just like straight up rock and roll. That's why the growlers are just like straight up rock and roll. It's kind of like a, it's kind of like a, a return back to like, they sound a little sixties inspired a little bit, but with, you know, a little bit heavier and a little bit more like chic and bohemian or whatever the fuck you want to call it. But I, I really like the growlers and, and they, they remind me a lot of that, that kind of, I feel like that's coming back too. And things are becoming a little bit more rock and roll in that way. Another song, another, I mean, another band I'm actually listen, listening to a lot is The Strokes. The Strokes? Yeah. I, I love The Strokes. Um, those first two albums are two of my favorite albums ever. Uh, is This It? I remember listening to it and not liking it because I'm like, at that time I was into punk rock. And oh, I'm really? like, these guys sound like they're trying to be fucking 70s arena rockers. Fuck these guys. And then in time, I just realized like, oh, like, no, like, I'm dumb. Like, this is yeah. this is really good. It's back to basics rock and roll. And I think it's cool that they're still relevant now. I mean, they've all got like their own side projects and stuff yeah. like that. Um, now, I think they're working on a new album right now. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. Now, think, now all we need is a swing revival. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> what happened before you guys were born? <laughs> that happened with uh, Big Bad Voodoo Daddy in oh, the late 90s. <laughs> Cherry Poppin' Daddy. Yeah, Cherry Poppin' Daddy's another one. Yeah, they're so good. <laughs> um, we should just become a jazz band. I don't, I have no musical training to do that. <laughs> um, 
but yeah, I, I think it's uh, I think it's interesting just to see these cycles and see them coming back and um, you know seeing it with popular bands and obviously the Growlers aren't selling out arenas or anything, but I I think that that the next step for rock music is kind of having this big influence in like smaller tier clubs and the Growlers have sold out pretty much every time they've come down here. Yeah, they they were at the Paper Tiger recently. Yeah, and they were, that was, everyone was there. Yeah, I was jealous. <laughs> I was jealous of everyone there. I saw it on Snapchat stories. Yeah. <laughs> They've been bringing in a lot of good bands lately. Um, back when it was the White Rabbit, it's kind of a turn back to like when it, the way it was back then. Because there was a while where bands would just skip San Antonio completely. But you guys being in Bernie, you're kind of halfway to Austin, so you can kind of pick and choose a little bit. <laughs> we have yet to gig in Austin. Oh, yeah? Actually. You want to. Austin's about an hour and a half from Bernie's. So. Oh, you guys are going far. That's yeah, right. So it's kind of out of the way. It's closer to, I, I mean, if you ride I-10... To El Paso, that's where Bernie is. But I've driven there so many times. I've, ACL actually saw the Foo Fighters there. Oh yeah, the music scene there, from what I've seen, where I heard, is amazing. It's so much variety. Because I know San Antonio, from what I've known, from what I've noticed, is a lot of metal. Yeah, a lot of metal on the surface. That's what. That's one of the reasons why I wanted to do this podcast because I wanted to show that there are bigger things happening mm. that are more relevant to people. Um, you know, younger people especially. Uh, there's um, a popular band that just broke up recently called the Hydra Melody. They've been t- they've been playing for years, decades. They've been playing since they were in high school. And I remember I was talking to a lead singer, and he said that they play opened up for like Dance Gavin Dance or some band like that. And uh, someone came up to them and was like, "Oh my god, like where are you guys from?" And they're like, "We're from here." So I think that it's because there's so much out there, and because metal is all on the surface, it's really hard to see bands like you know you guys coming up and like other bands that we've had on the show that. You know, they have like a small following, but they could have a bigger following if people would get past the, the notion that like, oh, that's Metal City. It's metal City, yeah. I've yeah. Um, I lived in Austin for, for five years uh, in, around that time, and I was always the same. I was very like, you know, oh, like, fuck San Antonio. I wouldn't say fuck San Antonio, but I was like, no, like, that's where I'm from. This is where I'm at now. This is where it's at. Well, since I moved, I moved back in 2011, and I see that, like, there are a lot of similarities, and there are a lot of people who are, like, very similar, and, and from a music standpoint... We have the scene here. It just needs to get more, you know, Publicity. notoriety. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Um, so uh, going back to uh, you, you were talking about, you know, the Nirvana influence. And uh, when when people tell you guys you sound like Nirvana, um, are the, when you guys, okay, so you guys have that mentality. And it's a good mentality to have, like, you want to sound like Elysium. You know, you want them to, to be, you want to be um, significant with your sound all together. Yeah, like, like, oh, yeah, um, that's Elysium, but... I can hear the yeah. Nirvana influence. That's yeah, and it's it's cool to see that because Nirvana, when it came out from a mainstream perspective, there was nothing else like it. But there were other bands that were kind of that they they sounded similar to. I mean, you you, you always associate them with like Mud Honey and those other bands that from the grunge area, and then Pro Jam kind of comes up. Mm-hmm. But in hindsight, they're so different. Pro Jam and Nirvana and Alice in Chains also yeah all different i mean they're all categorized as grunge but I, for me i just think they're all completely different yeah you know? definitely um cake cake people, people would call cake grunge oh really mm-hmm. <laughs> you know uh do you know the uh satellite radio channel uh, lithium uh-huh. uh they play like a lot of like, you know like weezer yeah um you know stuff that sounds nothing like nirvana but is still classified as grunge but you know you'll hear a couple cake songs on that channel sometimes um not saying that they are the ones who determine what is and what is not grunge, <laughs> but you know, 
It's on the channel for a reason, I suppose. I've always associated that just with like '90s rock in general. Oh, true. The true. like all-encompassing sound of like alternative, because alternative can mean so many different things, and that's why I kind of like using that because that way you're not. If you tell someone, like, "Hey, this is an alternative band," they're not going to expect one thing. Yep. So it's kind of cool to have that like overshadowing genre. Leave some room, you know, for yeah. variants. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Because then you get to the point, like, in the by the mid-90s, grunge was completely out of the picture, pretty much. And then you have, like, post-grunge bands, mm-hmm. like Tantric, or, like, even Trapped. And then you have, you we talked about Slipknot, do you make way for the new metal bands? And the new metal became, like, unpopular. And then, you know, the Strokes kind of came back with it. It's just so interesting to see these cycles of things go through and what becomes popular and and what become kind of stays underground and then comes back up. Right. When do you think rap is going to go back underground? There are aspects of it that are underground. Um, there are a lot of rappers who are, uh, I mean, SoundCloud's kind of, Oh yeah. That's like the underground rap scene. Yeah. But there are also, I mean, there are, there are, there are guys like, uh, Talib Kweli who've been around for 20 years who have never had like a Grammy nomination who have never been, uh, you know, have never been on like top 40 radio. And you've got, uh, I mean, the Roots. I mean, the Roots are the, the band for Jimmy Fallon, but they've been around for 20 years and had great albums. So there's an underground element to it. It's so interesting to see how it kind of uh, go the same route that, that the rock and roll is going, you know. Um, is there anything else you guys want to add about Nirvana or anything else we've talked about? Let's see. Well, I want to talk about it really quick just to get sure. it out there. I know that what I really like about our band is that for me personally, I'm really, really influenced obviously by Nirvana Uh and by the Beatles. I know he really likes um, Slipknot and all those other bands. I know Corey really likes, like I talked about, um, Aerosmith. And I feel as though when we have all these different influences together, it just creates something better, you know? Just wait till I throw some jazz in there. (laughs) Or jazz too. I mean, the more the better, you know, whatever works. I think over the past couple of years that I've been doing jazz, I think I've started to incorporate a lot of what I've learned from it to Elysium. And I think that's actually blossomed quite a bit same with Corey. he was in he's been he's done jazz for a long time if you listen to the individual parts of our song uh each part of a song you can hear the different influences yeah. so for johnny you hear the beatles nirvana metallica like this big three for vocals guitar that's like that's Everybody's that's what you're gonna pull out for him uh when you listen to the bass line you're gonna hear more like flea style moving bass lines and stuff like that which almost like it's kind of new to the alternative rock like uh for if we're trying to copy like nirvana i guess which we're not but the bass line is more different um and then if you listen to logan you get like metal jazz drums and stuff like that and it's all different influences in one song and it's kind of cool how that comes comes together every song we're doing right now we're, we're recording an album we're just putting together a bunch of songs every single song we have sounds completely different that's cool. And I think you guys find a good way to mesh it together because you can do that and then like it can be a mess. But from the songs I've heard, I, I can hear those influences and you can it still comes together com- producing a good sound. Um, it's funny you mentioned that about, about jazz because uh, the Black Keys, you guys are familiar with the Black Keys, right? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so Patrick Carney hates blues music but they're a blues band, but you can hear his jazz influence and some of his, some of the, the syncopation that he does. Yeah. Um, and it's, it, I think as a drummer, you, you got a little bit more free reign to throw in some little, some jazz stuff. Yeah. So I think it's really cool to, and that's what I want to, that's what I also want to incorporate. You know, I think it'd be really cool. Like, you know, in Californian homesickism, uh, that one like guitar drum break area. Um, oh yeah. That's like syncop- syncopation. I think we should do a lot more syncopated things and, uh, add a lot more color to every song we write. Well, with us, uh, we have a rule. It's uh, if it fits, it sits. That's cool. 
that's good to have that kind of open mind. If it fits, it sits. If you want to put this here and it sounds great, cool. If it want to put something else and it sounds great, just do it. I think it's very, it's much more enjoyable to be able to write my own drum parts instead of being like, uh, you know, dictated as to what I'm yeah. going to be playing on the drum set. You know, so I mean, I'm grateful for Johnny and Corey to both not, you know, bitch at me whenever I write something <laughs> a little more intense than, uh, well, normal. Because the way we do it is we just, um, Corey has the, uh, has a recording little thing. I record a little kind of like a scratch guitar and a uh-huh. vocal. And then I, he takes it and he puts a little bass to it for free reign. And when we have this together, we send it to Logan and he comes up with something. And then we get together and see how it all works together. That's awesome. It's cool to see that, that there's still like a collaboration aspect to it. It's, it's not. It's in sections, really. Like um, we're not going to sit in a room for a few hours yeah. and play a bunch of nonsense until something comes together. Uh, and I know that's how a lot of people did it for a long time, but I just, I, I can't think like that. I like to listen to the song and then I hear the little melodies going on in my head. Like, Oh, boom, baseline. There it is. Send it to J- Logan. He's now got um, the whole song without the drums in it pretty much. So super easy for him to finish his parts. What, he, I, think, what I think is funny is that uh, I presented an idea to Corey he, on his computer. He has like a, an, he has a bunch of a uh, little, uh, little folders one of the folders name is the fuck list, which is like the B side. So I show him a song. Hey, this song's really cool. Like I have a song called bummer and he, for like the past three years, he hates it. It's been longer <laughs> than that. I showed him this song. I'm like, man, this song is amazing. And then he's like, you know what? Nah, it sucks. And then we, we didn't put it on. You never know. Like I said, you guys, as you get older, your, your taste change and it could be something that maybe you can do something with. And like, See, there's hope for that song. You're, you're hearing things you weren't hearing the first time, you know, like I show him songs and then I, I trust Corey cause he listened to the song and he's like, you know what? Like thinking of it, like from an outside, I'm, I may think it's great, yeah, but other people might not. And I like to trust and like, yo, this song's great. You should keep it. This song sucks. It's on the fuck list. It's really good that you're open to like the constructive criticism though. You know, yeah. Honestly. There's a lot of singers I know personally who are like, well, fuck you. You're out of the band. Well, <laughs> I, I think the band is, is us, not yeah. me. If that makes sense. Yeah. And I, I make, I make them up with a riff, but just cause I like it doesn't mean it's good. You know? Yeah. I mean, he starts the song and we finish it is kind of the way I look at it. Um, they're lying. I actually write it all. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you write the whole, oh, yeah. the whole album is you. <laughs> but yeah, it's just I think everyone, if if the song, the, it's, the band is called Elysium, not Johnny Martinez. Yeah, so that makes sense. You know. Yeah. Well, awesome. Um, so thank you guys for coming on. Um, coming up next, we've got Elysium covering Nirvana's In Bloom.